Hi, I'm Alad Gross. I'm a civil rights attorney, an educator, and a dog owner who's running for Missouri Attorney General. And welcome to the Alad Pod. Dave Gregg and I did a town hall together. Dave is running for Missouri House District 130, the Republic Springfield area. We talked about a whole range of issues and took questions live. This is a good one. Hope you enjoy. Well, welcome everybody to uh, the virtual town hall starring the two of us. Yep. Here's Dave. Here's Lad. All right. If you're there and you are seeing us, we are currently streaming to a whole bunch of places. So if you're on Twitter, if you're on Facebook, if you're on uh, YouTube, if you're on Daily Motion or Twitch and you're playing a video game while you're watching two politicians you probably haven't seen in a while coming on your screen, wonderful. You can go ahead and comment. Let us know you're here. Uh, any questions that you have, but we're going to talk about Missouri quite a bit today. Uh, because it's a wonderful state and we have some wonderful ideas for it. So, uh, again, my name is Alad Gross. I'm running for Attorney General. And this is Dave, the wonderful Dave Gregg. <laughs> and I'm running for state state rep in uh, Western Greene County. It's called the 130th District, but no one has any idea what the idea what the what district numbers actually mean uh-huh. unless you're just running for it. So it's uh, the Western Third of Greene County. Right, right. Yes, yeah, so for anybody who's there, even if you're not there, you've got whatever questions you have. We're both candidates. We're running. We're trying to get uh, you know our messages out all over the state. But really, you know, whenever even in in the legislative body, we are always representing. Well, we should be always representing the people of this state. And there's so much work that uh, we're doing all over. And there's so many challenges and issues and and opportunities that we share. So, um, you know, I think it's, it's, uh, it's great wherever you are. Um, it's good to, to look at candidates all over the state um, and, and support the ones that you like. And this is one I like, so I'm excited that you're here today. I'm excited to be doing this with you. Um, do you want to give people a little pitch? You want to show them who you are? Tell them, tell them, tell them who you are and, and let them know? Yeah, you bet. So we... Elad and I were supposed to be doing this as a barbecue in May. Oh, that's right. Um, with, if we get really lucky, we'll be able to do that, but I, I kind of have my doubts. So uh, th- this is a, a nice runner-up. But, yeah, my name is Dave Gregg, uh, born and raised here in Missouri, a little bitty town called Montrose, um, and uh, graduated there, went to Truman State, uh, was a newspaper editor and reporter for a while and, and came back home to Missouri in 2011 uh, or in 2010. And then uh, started an insurance agency in here in Springfield in, in 2011. Uh, been doing that for a while. I uh, was pretty happy as a political independent. And then in 2016, I decided I couldn't, couldn't sit on the sidelines and I actually had to get involved a little bit. So I uh, helped uh, Tyler Gunlock with his campaign a little bit. And when he said he wasn't going to run again, I told him I would go ahead and, and uh, see what I could do. Yeah. So Ty- Tyler's actually he's he's working on your campaign, right? Yeah, he is my uh, treasurer as well as you know, just overall advisor. Yeah. Uh, kind of giving me ideas of, of things to folks to talk to and that kind of stuff. Right. 
Right. Well, it's a good advisor to have. I've known him for a bit. So, um, that's a good, that's a good one, two punch right there. Um, how, uh, why'd you, why'd you decide to run, man? (laughs) It depends on what day you ask me as Uh as far as, you know, what that answer is going to be, but it's, we were talking about it a little bit ago. Does the democracy needs debate? We have to have the the debate is how democracy works. Yeah. Um, we talk about you know, government's not working or whatever. Those debates we have to have when things are going too smoothly. You know that there are problems, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. we have one party that is has so much control right now that we're not getting the checks and balances between the the branches of government that we should have. And there are things that should be happening with our government that aren't uh, for whatever reason. Um, So, yeah, when you're from a little bitty town, you kind of figure out that uh, you can't wait for somebody else to do something because there's nobody else there. Um, So if I don't like the way things are going, then I'm going to step up and get involved. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. Um yeah, I think uh, you know it's kind of similar. Um, actually, that's that's the reason why I decided I was I was actually recruiting a lot of folks to run for uh, state rep all over the state. So in in 2016, you know, I got I got pretty involved in Missouri state politics, and um, that next cycle in 2018, I was encouraging a lot of people to run. And when uh, when I was in court at the end of 2018, so after, you know, the whole election was over and everything, um, but I was in court and I was arguing about all this dark money stuff that a lot of people know me from and, you know, the work that I've been Mm -hmm. doing there. But I was arguing and my opponent in court was uh, talking about, well, you know, uh, Mr. Gross is just a member of the public. Uh, the attorney general is the one who should be doing all of this. He's the one who should be coming in here and looking into dark money. He, he's just a member of the public. He can't do anything. And, you know, I was sitting there. I think it was, it, was, it was that realization where you see something that you've been working on for a while or you see something in your community and, you, you know, you've been working with folks in your neighborhood. And all of a sudden, that mirror is on you, you know. And all of a sudden, you hear that voice in your head um, that's like, well, what are you doing about it? And, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's definitely a, a special moment, <laughs> especially when you get to this point, having been running and you've made this whole campaign and you've been working with folks, you have advisors, you have advisors now, and you look back and you think about that first moment where you decided to do it. It's pretty, uh, it's, it's pretty cool, I think. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, the floor drops out of everything and everything that you right. thought you were going to do, you're now going to, uh, have to change. So. And that's, that's one of the fun things. Right. Yeah. Well, speaking about change, um, how, how are you, how are you doing and how is the campaign doing right now, um, with the virus and, you know, all of, all of the, uh, the stay home Missouri order and everything else. So how, how are you adapting to that? I'm personally, I'm doing fine. I've got, I've got a job where I don't have to go see people. Um, and so I'm not going to get the direct effects as, you know, I'll get secondary effects as, as I've got clients that it hits, then that's when it affects me. So for me personally, I'm doing okay. Uh, the campaign kind of, uh, hit us, hit a roadblock as I try and figure out as everybody else tries to figure out exactly how to, to navigate this, because one of the, 
the way I really thought I was going to be able to distinguish myself and, and uh, make myself stand out was lots of face-to-face contact, lots of conversations, lot you know, lots of this is who I am, this is um, right. what I believe, and this is why I'm running. And that's kind of difficult when you can't actually have face-to-face contact. So, yeah. um, so th- th- I've really been looking forward to this just because it's a way of, of getting out and talking to folks. Right. Yeah. No, it's a, uh, it's a different world out there, um, because it's all on the computer now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. But it's been, I, I think, you know, we, we've, so we've been pretty active on social media throughout the campaign mm-hmm. and I've always found, you know, I always treated folks who were commenting and I remember the first time I got this was somebody with like some long thing and, you know, I was responding and, you know, I had this whole philosophical thing and I was like, Oh, I'm going to totally convince them. And then, found out that it was just a bot. It was a robot on, on Facebook or something. But, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I've, I've treated, you know, even despite that experience, I've treated all the folks who have come through Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or wherever else they might be coming from just like I would in real life. Um, mm-hmm. and so maybe that was a little weird to do, but but it's, uh, um, you know, I think we, we were a little bit accustomed to going to this kind of format and now having two screens and a microphone is a little bit special, but, um, you know... I think I think it's a, it's still a good way to keep people connected, and we've got some folks. And if you are out there, go ahead and let us know that you're out there and uh, say hi, because we usually have some folks, and especially from Pettis County, who get on all of these and 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 watch pretty often. So I'm I'm sure Jimmy or somebody over there is probably watching right now. But um, yeah, I think it's a uh, it's a little different. Have you have you seen any kind of changes in your like social media or interactions with anybody, has anything really changed that way for you? Um, not too much. Of course, you get the folks yeah. who are, you know, their first question is, well, are you a Republican? Right. No, but that's not the point. And, and that's part of why Missouri is having so many problems is we've stopped looking for mm-hmm. the person and we just go straight to what the party is. Right. And... I don't care what party you are. That's a bad idea. Um, just because it's too e- it's very easy to abuse it. Yeah, and that's what's happening. Yeah, yeah. I think you're. Uh, I think you're totally right. Yeah, I get those questions a lot. Well, wait. I have a question for you though. You live in Republic, right? Yep. So are aren't you kind of a Republican? Yeah, my 11-year-old likes to point that out, too. <laughs> You're a right, Democratic like Republican or are you a Republican Democrat? Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, okay, that's great. Just wondering, you know, for folks out there. So, um, okay, cool. Uh, yeah, so what are, I guess, you know, I, I, I was talking to um, Emily Weber the other day and then Betsy Fogel the okay. week before that. Um, but what, I, you know, I, I know that there, there are issues that, uh, you know, certainly we're all very focused on, um, ha- have you seen, like, has, has this experience highlighted anything in, you know, the issues that you were talking about or that you were campaigning on? So f- for me, these are the, the pandemic has highlighted all of the issues that I was already talking about mm-hmm. and made them bigger. Yeah, um, we don't have a good debate. We don't have the infrastructure. Um, we sh- we're underfunding schools. Um, broadband internet should have been in, uh, already right. should have been in place for for rural areas. 
that'd be pretty handy right now. Yeah. Uh, Medicaid expansion would be coming pretty handy right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is all of the stuff that I was already talking about is now a much bigger deal because we have cut taxes so much because you know, that's how Republicans win elections is they promise they can do all this stuff without actually getting any tax money. Um, and so now that we need a government to to step up and we need government money, we don't have any because they've been cutting taxes all this time, which is, you know, horrible thing for a politician to say, if I win, I'm going to try and raise taxes. Unfortunately, if you've ever worked with a uh, two cycle lawnmower or two cycle engine, like a a weed eater or a chainsaw, Uh you know, there is a, a, a Goldilocks zone. You need this much oil. If you have too little oil, you're going to burn up your engine. If you have too much oil, you're going to burn up your engine. We're on the too little taxes and we're going to burn up our engine. Yeah. 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 We've, uh, um, you know, it was interesting. There was a, um, a Senator, um, who was running, God, what was his name? Um, Will was Will Schmidt. He was running, he was running for secretary of state in the primary against, uh, Jay Ashcroft who's our current secretary of state. And yeah. he was the, he had paid, I mean, he pushed forward this bill for all these corporate tax cuts big time in Missouri. And, uh, after it had passed, um, people looked at the projections and the projections were way off what was initially proposed in that bill. And so now all of a sudden, you know, the tax receipts were a lot lower for all that stuff. And, and so someone came up to him, was a reporter who asked him uh, if he would have changed anything, knowing now what the results were. And his response was, oh, no, we should have cut them all the way down to zero. And so, you know, I mean, the problem is, and I think in Missouri, a lot of folks don't know, but in Missouri, you know, in, for example, in Kansas, they had all these tax cuts and, and then they started hitting the schools really hard and that's what really, you know, got people fired up and they didn't want their kids just to be going to school four days a week, which was happening a lot in Missouri. Uh, mm-hmm. But then their schools weren't adequate. Like nobody, you couldn't even go there. People were starting to move across the border to Missouri because they didn't want to educate their kids in Kansas. So they threw that quickly um, and, and then increased the budget pretty significantly for education by hundreds of millions of dollars. In Missouri, the problem is when we cut taxes, it's very hard to raise them again. Because yeah. of the Hancock. Yep. Yeah, because of the Hancock Amendment. Exactly right. And, and that means we have to go back to the people every time to go over a certain threshold where we're increasing taxes. So for us, you know, the, 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 the image I always have in my mind here is it's like a snake that's slowly coiling itself around the state, right? Slowly. And once it gets really tight, it's so hard to break it. And the problem is when you become really reliant on tax cuts all the time and especially benefiting those who are already pretty, you know, they're doing pretty well. Um, You know, you got cut services to somebody and, and, well, you know, uh, you're always cutting them to the people who need it the most because those aren't the folks who have the power to go sign a check for someone to go to Jeff City on their behalf. So, um, yeah, that's where we are right now. Yeah, we earlier at the at the start of the session, they had the idea to eliminate personal property taxes. So you don't have to pay property tax on your vehicle anymore. Um, yeah, I looked at, at my property tax and there was like 67 cents that actually went to the state. Um, uh-huh. Most of it went to the local school district. Right. So they were going to eliminate all this money from school districts 
And you know there was no way that they were going to replace it anywhere. No. Um, no, it's not coming back. <laughs> so it, it's it's purely, well, I can cut taxes and, and uh, we'll be just fine without it, which is not how things work. That's just not how math works. Right, right. Yeah, there's, you know, you need to pay teachers, which we really don't do in the state already, but exactly. you got to pay them something. Yeah. Uh, yep. Yeah. Jimmy, by so the way, the, is on the stream. I just want you all to know that. He wanted you to know what, that, too. What's that? <laughs> Jimmy from Pettis County oh. is on the stream right now. <laughs> yeah, so is Angie Allen. Hi, Angie. Uh, Hi, Angie. Yeah. Uh, no, you're, you're, you're totally right. Yeah, I mean, is edu- obviously, I, mean, I would think, based on what you're talking about, but I also know you, education is probably a pretty big issue for you on the campaign, right? Oh, God, yeah. Um, yeah. So... There are lots of things that, that kind of pushed me into it, but I've got right now I have, well, okay. Right now I don't have any kids in school. I've got one kid in, in high school, one kid in, um, he's in elementary school next year. I'll be in middle school and I've got another kid. who will be starting kindergarten next year. Um, and JMT, I'm in Republic, uh, like West of Springfield. So yeah, absolutely. Education is a huge deal because we're leaving our kids all of these messes, and we're not even going to funding education so they can clean them up, which is just absolutely boggles my mind. Education, roads and bridges, um, broadband internet, they're all economic multipliers. Yeah. Uh, so, like I said, my, my background was a, a newspaper editor and reporter, so I spent a lot of time in city halls doing that kind of stuff. So the city halls and city and, and uh, chambers of commerce, economic multipliers, you put money in and you get more money out. Education is one of those things. So, so are roads and bridges and where we cut money from those, we're going to pay the price for that. And it's going to be a whole lot money, more money than what we would should have spent on education. Yeah. 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 You know, it's, it's interesting cause you've got, I'm, I did a little bit, in uh, in the journalism field for a little while, I was uh, 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 with Patch dot com when they were they were a thing for a little bit. What uh, you know? I mean, looking now, you know, I, I, so I'm pretty involved now in a lot of First Amendment litigation. I've actually got um, one of my cases is going to uh, be argued in the appellate court on the 22nd of this month, um, and so we're going to do that over the internet, which should be interesting. Probably won't be like this. Uh, Probably, yeah. Probably not. But, you know, I mean, you know, thinking about like the times that we're living in right now um, and with your background, I mean, what, what are your thoughts about the media, um, the role it's playing right now? And, and you know, kind of, especially its interaction with with government. I mean, we, we can go really deep with that, especially given, you know, in, in a few minutes now, um, you know, Mike Parson, the governor is going to be doing his press conference like he does most days at about three um, but I mean, you know, what are you, what are your thoughts about that and the, in the, the role it has to play today? Um, and maybe, you know, versus any other time that you've, you've been around doing this. It is so weird to try and figure out how, if I were still doing it, it would be such a, a difficult task to figure out how to maneuver because, you know, newspapers and, and TV journalists have always gotten your one-sided whatever. But 
the Republicans have done such a masterful job of skewing things that so that when journalists actually call out and say this is not right, this isn't even close to being right, they get accused, they get attacked for oh you're just being one sided. Mm-hmm. No one is a hundred percent unbiased. A good reporter does their best to take that out of the story and, uh, and good editors take that out of the story. And so that you're left with the facts and, and I still think they're doing a, a very good job considering the circumstances yeah. because newspapers have been hurting for a long time now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but readers and, and viewers have to still question, okay, it's, it's not a matter of that they have a, an agenda. They have inherent biases. They have, you know, yeah. this is what I think, this is how I think the world looks. And usually they try and take that out. But it doesn't always happen. So you, you have to question everything you see, everything you read. That's just good advice in general. Right. But too many people who are accusing um, journalists of being, you know, all for this one party are now swallowing whole anything that they think they agree with instead of question, making those same questions that they have to make those questions. All you know, People have to question what they're being told. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's kind of, I mean, it's a pretty scary time, I think, in Missouri. You know, it was, um, so while, while this, before this, uh, this virus was here, um, you know, I, so I'd been working a lot on, Missouri Sunshine Law and protecting that in court. Mm-hmm. The big, the big threat to it um, that I've been dealing with, and there are multiple, but the big threat was government entities charging citizens uh, attorneys' fees to review mm-hmm. records. Right, mm-hmm. and uh, and that that wasn't just happening to me. I mean, that happened to me in, in a pretty big way because I was investigating this dark money stuff, and I was looking for emails with all and all of these people who were connected to it, and they were charging me a ton of money to see it. But they were yep. also charging money for that same that same, so for an attorney to read all of these documents uh, at an hourly rate, and they were charging that to the Kansas City Star, um, yep. to local newspapers, and so. Um, you know, that's that that I mean, that's a pretty big threat to the freedom of the press, because if then it becomes it's, it's like so many other things in, in our society, it only becomes transparency only becomes accessible to those who can afford it. And that right. certainly doesn't seem like how that should work. No. And, and that's been going on for more than 20 years. That, that's sure. a, that is an ongoing fight um, yeah. that and. What they say is they're they're trying to dissuade nuisance requests where people just right. come in, open up. I want all of this, right? Okay, but no, it's still the people people's information who and you need to give that to them. the The default should always be yes, we can release this information. Not let's see how we can hide this information. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And, that happens way too often. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, while, while this was all going on, um, uh, our state auditor, Nicole Galloway, who's running for governor, as we all know, she actually put up on her website, all of the sunshine requests that she had received and all the responses to them. So that's all online. 
And it, it certainly seems like in, in the world that we're living in today, that would be a default, especially for offices that have the resources like our statewide ones. I can understand, mm-hmm. you know, you've got some local municipalities that need help. And, um, you know, I would hope that the attorney general's office would go and help them um, to get that set up and make sure they're complying with the sunshine law and everything else. But, uh, I mean, it seems like with the technology that we have, it should be so much easier to be transparent, especially when it comes to public records. Absolutely. Like I said, the, the default setting should always be, yes, let's, let's release this. Now, obviously, there, there are things that they can't release, you know, personnel records, sure. um, you know, real estate, real estate transactions before they actually get done. But mm-hmm. it's it should be a narrow set that it should it's easy to say, OK, nope, we're good with this. Right. Right. And that's exactly what the Sunshine Law says. There's actually a yep. whole list of like, oh, here's the things that we don't do. And I can understand you tweak a few, like maybe there's some sensitive information that you get from somebody. We have to update it over time. But the really scary thing for me was that during like once this crisis hit, there was a, a bill that they were trying to use. You know, all this stuff was happening pretty quick, but there was a bill that was proposed to, um, you know, make some changes to the Sunshine Law, and those changes included explicitly allowing the government to charge attorneys' fees for all of this, which it does not do, and that's why I'm in court. And so far, a bunch of courts have agreed with my position that they shouldn't be able to do that. But they were actually trying to do that and trying to, at least at one point, pushing that a bit uh, while this crisis was ongoing, and, and thankfully. You know, we saw it. A lot of other folks, you know, jumped on board, and they were seeing it too. The Missouri Press Association was great, um, and and thankfully we got that changed uh, before it was it just got rushed through or something. But um, yeah, certainly that's something that we all have to stay vigilant about. So it's great that we have people who are doing really good work. Um, and so I would recommend, if you can, uh, subscribe to your local newspaper, um, especially the ones that are doing great work. So got to keep them going. Um, yep. Yeah. Okay. And, so freedom and, of the press and an online subscription are usually yes. pretty cheap. Yes, they are. Yeah, they are. And I mean, I've got I've got a few around the state now. Um, really helpful. And I know a lot of them are actually doing a service where they're taking down their paywalls for the coronavirus and and yep. all of that kind of work. But um, you know, if you, if you have found that to be helpful um, and you have the financial ability to do it, because I know a lot of people are hurting right now. But if you do, um, you know, I definitely recommend. Um, subscribing. So yep. that's my thought, my thought on that. Um, all right. So we education, we talked about education and we need more money for that. That's true. Uh, first amendment's important. Uh, what other issues, other issues are you seeing maybe local ones or even ones that you see like, you know, statewide that would apply to the district that you are running in? So one of the big ones that I see is, um, like I talked about earlier was in infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, I live in Republic. There is one high, a highway that's the main entrance into Republic. Um, they are doing a study right now, or they're trying to do it right now. Numbers are going to be all skewed, but on what happens with Highway 60, because there's a lot of blank space between Springfield and Republic right now. Yeah. That's not going to be there in 20 years. So they've got to get that planned out right now. And so that's what they're doing. That'll be the easy part. Mm-hmm. The hard part is trying to figure out how to fund whatever changes they decide they need to make because 
we've done such a bad job of trying to fund those kinds of things um, that the governor had to come up with the roads and bridge bonds so we could fund some maintenance, but we got no way of actually paying for those bonds down the road. Yeah. Um, so that's one of the big things that I see mm-hmm. uh, in in my neck of the woods. And, and like I said, they're doing traffic camps right now. Well, there's not that many ro- folks on the road, but right. Um, so it's going to skew those numbers. So it may get kicked back a little bit anyway. But that's what, education is a big big one um, because the districts in, in uh, Western Green County, you know, especially Republic, are growing and growing and growing. Yeah, they're going to need more help. Uh, they need more transportation dollars to make sure that they can get schools or kids to school. Um, the kinds of kids that they are coming in, um, I mean, they're just getting more kids who need more help. Um, right. The superintendent said that there was many more nationalities in the Republic School District than I would have ever expected. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they've got to come up with translators for a lot of these folks. Yeah. And for those who are, oh, we shouldn't be worrying about the, again, you put money in education now and you get more money back. Right. Versus you don't put the money in education yep. and it costs you money down the road. Yep. And I, and, and I know, you know, this is exactly where you work too, because, mm-hmm. and one thing I do want to ask you while we're here. Yeah. You are an attorney who's done a whole lot of work with kids. Right. How yeah, did that happen? <laughs> you want to know no. the answer to that? <laughs> I started working with kids before I was a lawyer. <laughs> okay, so why not just yeah. continue working with kids and then go into the the and go into, you know, education? Yeah. I, so I actually thought about that. So, so uh, for those of you who don't know, I, I run a nonprofit in uh, St. Louis, and I've been teaching for 13 years, despite looking like I'm 16 years old. Uh, but yeah, I've been doing that uh, for a while, and you know, I, I got into education. We're like working in the education area uh, because it meant so much to me growing up. And I saw um, just in the St. Louis area, I saw huge inequity of opportunity. And so, you know, I, I had the, the wonderful fortune to go to a great public school, uh, but so many people around me did not. Um, and, you know, I, you start to see that a lot as you're getting older and, you know, you see what's going on around you and you, you realize it. But my mom, my mom's a first generation American and she grew up in, in you know, a lot of poverty and for her, education was the way out. So when she became a single working mom with all of her kids and she had to figure out what to do, it's like anything to get them to go to a good school. So, yeah, I mean, I started, you know, doing the summer camp thing like a lot of kids do. And when I was in college and there was an opportunity to go, they had some funding opportunity to do community service anywhere you wanted in the world. And I saw a lot of the problems back home. So I just said, can I go home? And they said, I, I guess, sure, yeah, why not? So I went home, and I started working with the St. Louis Public School District. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I did that. And after college, I actually took a whole year, and I was just doing that because um, I started it while I was in college and for a couple years there and uh, kept coming back home. And then, uh, yeah, I, I was really thinking, well, do I go into teaching? But I had so many friends who were already teaching. 
And a lot of them were struggling because they didn't have the support that they needed. They wanted to teach in school districts that really needed them, but there wasn't enough, you know, not the resources. There was a lot of burnout. So, you know, I thought, well, maybe I can help from a different angle. And because of the nonprofit that I run, I was a little less limited like a lot of schools are in that I could go and I could talk to, um, you know, I, I spent a lot of time with families, with their kids. And so I saw like all these different needs from health care to child care to uh, the justice system to jobs. And so, um, yeah, I, I, I thought going to law school would allow me to be a better advocate for my kids. And so that's why I ended up going to law school versus teaching. But I still teach. I mean, I still do that quite a bit. So um, kind of trying to have the best of both worlds a little bit. But, yeah, I'm very thankful for that because I always have seen government as an opportunity for us to cooperate in a way that benefits all of us and especially our kids. And, you know, I, I got involved. I'm, I'm sitting here right now doing this interview with you as an attorney general candidate, you as a, as a House uh, rep candidate because of my kids and because of the importance that we need to put on them in this state because otherwise none of this stuff matters. So yeah, that's, that's why I'm a, a lawyer who teaches uh, kindergartners. <laughs> Ed- education should be an equalizer. It yeah. should be a way of right. getting everybody up. And when you're not putting money into the education the way it should, all you're doing is letting the folks who are already got the most advantages continue to rise higher and higher and higher. And that's, that's just not, doesn't do anyone any good. Yeah. Um, everyone is done is, is everyone benefits when education helps everyone. Right. Yes. I mean, the thing is like, look in, in, in the American system, it's one about, uh, merit, you know, we, we hear about the American dream that everybody can achieve and all that, but that's, that's the reason why education is so important. If we want to have that kind of a system and you don't want to have one that other countries do where it's, you know, a caste system where you're stuck and this is how you're born, this is how you're going to be, then you have to be able to access opportunity. And the way to do that needs to be through education. And that's how it's always been when we've talked, you know, when, when folks were coming up with the philosophy behind what America is going to be. Education always played an extremely important role. Now, for some folks, they limited that access because they knew how important education was. But the more that we, oh, well, maybe we should all be, maybe those words should actually mean something, um, you know, the, the more uh, the more access people need and the more certainly equality of opportunity that we need, um, and equity is such an important issue too. But, but yeah, I, I think you're, you're totally right. Like that's, that needs to be foundational to all the other policies, everything else that we're really doing. Because, um, I mean, that's, that's the foundation of what America can be. And if, if we are going to have trust in our institutions, if our government is going to work, if it's really going to represent us, then uh, certainly our kids need to, be, need to have the tools to do that. And I think that's why, like, you know, when I teach, I focus a lot on advocacy. You know, for, I mean, I, I usually have kids for a shorter time during the summer, but I still talk to them over the year, uh, over the course of the year. But for me, if I can teach a kid to learn how to navigate the system and use history and use math and use all of these different things to become an advocate um, in all these different ways, like it doesn't have to be a speaker. You can do it with all these different tools. Um, and I think that's a, a very big success, a success. And I think that's something that we 
we, we definitely need more of, um, you know, civic education has been something that we haven't really been investing much into overall anyway. So, and, and so I'm going to jump off of that just a little bit because oh, yeah. uh, we're here. One, one of the, <laughs> we're, we're kind of freeze forming here. Um, <laughs> You know, one of the the debates are between charter schools or, and tax credits for private schools and that kind of stuff. So I've talked to several educators and administrators, and they're okay with charter schools. Just let us play by the same rules, right. because charter schools can do things that that the local school districts can't. So of course they look better. But here's the deal: public schools are still winning. They're still beating charter schools and private schools yeah because even when the charter schools are taking out the easiest kids to educate and getting mm-hmm. the same amount of money as the public schools are per right. kid right um, so they're taking out the folks who are easiest to educate and leave the ones who are you know and getting the same amount of money per pupil yeah so I've got some serious problems with the charter school idea it's a it's a cool idea. But the way it's being implemented does not yeah. work, and it's a bad idea. Among other things, mm. local schools are handled are administered by local school boards. Yeah, and a charter school is not. Right. Um, they yeah. are administered through a a lot of times out of state um, entity, and mm-hmm. so there's no control there whatsoever. Right. Yeah. No. Yeah. Some oftentimes they're for profit entities that are managing these things. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I've, I've gotten that question a few times is, you know, mm-hmm. talk to us about charter schools. It's a cool idea, but no, it doesn't work um, because, again, going back to infrastructure, I don't like having mm. two sets of infrastructure, public money going to two sets of infrastructure. Right. And all you do is weaken the one that we've already got. We, if you want to make your school better, get involved. Yeah. Um, the. You know, that's the biggest thing is just get involved. It's right. going to, to do more than shoving your kid off to a charter school. Right. I mean, the thing is, I think you're, you're totally right. One of the biggest issues with charter schools in Missouri is that there's a, a huge lack of accountability. So there's a state board that deals with all of them, but the state board often doesn't have the power to do very much. We've had a number of schools that were charter schools that shut down. And what happens when you shut down, including in the middle of a school year? Um, one of them was just months to go before uh, the school year was over. And what happens? Well, the local public school has to take the kids and they take over the school. Um, so, I mean, I mean, now it's you're creating there's there you're creating a system where there's there, there are schools that can just fail and, and leave. And then the mess has to be cleaned up by the public school system that you already took money away from in order right. to allow this to happen. Now, there are some charter schools in Missouri that I've visited um, and I, I, I've worked with that do a wonderful job educating kids. And I think you're totally right. It would be nice to see that same kind of freedom, um, that same kind of creativity mm-hmm. go into the public school system itself. Um, and, you know, I, I've, you know, having worked with kids for so long, I'm a very big proponent of giving, trusting teachers to teach. 
and you know, making sure the teachers are trained, making sure that you've got accountability because any system that works has accountability. But the schools that I've been in, whether they're public or charter or whatever else it might be, that have done really well are ones where the staff is really bought in. They have resources to do it. They have a wonderful principal who is just everybody loves. Uh, and, and the teachers are happy because they're happy to go to work and do that work, right? Now, there's, now there's another thing. I've seen that happen in a school I'm on the advisory board for and I've worked with for a long time in uh, North St. Louis City. And, uh, you know, they had a wonderful principal. Uh, they had, you know, some of the stuff, but they didn't have the resources coming to it. And so we ask teachers in certain school districts to deal with so much, to deal with behavioral issues, to deal with what's happening at home, to deal with, uh, you know, food deserts and food poverty, all of these different issues. And, uh, you know, in a lot of it's been interesting in a lot of the schools where I've seen there has been success. There's usually staffing that's dedicated to dealing with a lot of those issues in particular. And Mm -hmm. uh, and that frees up teachers to do the teaching. And if you have a kid, you know, there was one school I was at where the kids had like a buddy classroom that they could go to. So if they knew they were getting really fired up and they needed to calm down, they could just walk out and then they would go to the other classroom and the teacher would know. And it's like, yeah, cool. You just chill out. So I think there's like a lot of creative ways and there's a lot of project, uh, you know, based kind of learning a lot of creative classroom work, which is something that I really subscribe to, but all these different ways to teach and all these different ways to get kids involved. um, I would love to see a lot more creativity uh, allowed in our public school classrooms. And mm. I think that we, we need, you know, funding, but we also need leadership. We need stronger leadership that allows teachers to do their jobs. And it's, it's sad when you see great ones who are constrained. Um, and you know, you have to almost, you almost have to be an amazing teacher right now in the current system that we have to get through to your kids, especially in school districts that are struggling with high levels of poverty. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. What do you, what do you say right now? You know, um, yeah, with the, uh, the lunch program, the free reduced lunch program and and student meals and everything, is there any, cause you know, so many of the kids I've worked with, they rely on schools for those meals and we've got some programs we've actually had some issues in, um, you know, in certain areas of Missouri where folks have gotten sick, school staff Mm -hmm. have gotten sick trying to, you know, get food out. What, what, what is going on, I guess, in your area right now, uh, with like the free meals and everything else. Do you know anything about that? So I know Ash Grove is actually using school buses to go out and, and deliver, uh, meals to some of these kids. Um, Republic has pickups, um, where people can drive by and, and pick up, uh, yeah. schools where they need to. Um, those are the, the two that I know of, although, Willard and, and Walnut Grove, I think, are doing some of those things as well. I'm just not thinking of those right offhand. Yeah. Those yeah. are the ones in, in my neck of the woods, and, and obviously Springfield's doing some of the some of the same type of things. Right, right. Yeah, I've seen um I've seen some where a lot of nonprofits are really stepping up big time now too to mm-hmm. to help with distribution and you know getting meals to Yeah, kids. we've got it's a lot really of churches important. that are doing yeah. uh, doing right. some of that stuff and and that's great. Um I don't like relying on some of those things because there's no, no guarantee that it's going to happen. It's hopefully they can that's, but we shouldn't be relying on them to to pick up that slack. 
Right, right. Yeah, I would, uh, you know, certainly one thing that um, is long overdue in Missouri and really in our country is dealing with poverty as a whole. Um, And, you know, I I think that really what we're seeing now is this virus, um, you know, certainly attacks us physically, but it's attacking society in a way where it's exacerbating you know, mm-hmm. all, all of these things that we didn't deal with, all of these things we kind of just left and neglected and everything else. And, um, you know, I think we're seeing that in a very big way in our state, that's for sure. Absolutely. I mean, we can um, go off on, on minimum wage just a little bit. Yeah. So the, the uh, we did get a minimum wage increase passed it, um, through the uh, initiative petition process back in November, which is great. Um but the state legislature took away the power for individual cities to set their own minimum wage, which makes no sense at all because it's not going to cost the same. The yeah. cost to live in Walnut Grove is not going to be anywhere near the same as it is in St. Louis. We yeah. should be able to have individual. And if, and if it hurts St. Louis, I mean, this is the idea of limited government. If you're going to do something that's in the long run is going to hurt, then St. Louis pays the price for that. If they right. raise it up too high and business, nobody wants to do business in St. Louis, then St. Louis does pays the price for that. But that's not what we're talking about. We're just going to set a blanket for the state mm-hmm. and not take those differences into account, which is absolutely has to be taken into account. Right Now, we did get it passed, and, and it is going to help some folks. But yeah, and then we told everybody to go home, except for the people who we really need to be out there. Right. And now they're literally putting their lives on the line so they can bag groceries. Yeah. For ten bucks an hour. Yeah. Yeah. And and day after day, um, you know, we've been hitting on this pretty hard. But I mean, grocery workers, uh, grocery clerks, pharmacy techs. Uh, they, their union has been asking the governor to do something that other states have already done. And it's, it's pretty simple. It's, it's designating them as either first responder type personnel or as essential workers. Now he's already said they're essential in the essential workplace, right? Because they're going, they're getting us food. I don't think in medicine, I think we all could agree that's pretty essential. But right. doing that isn't – it doesn't mean that they're going to go and respond to a fire. It just means that they get access to federally subsidized child care, especially now that schools are closed, which is extremely important. Um, they also get access to protective equipment, um, and they're not cutting anybody in the line. So it's not – you know they're not like, oh – hey, uh, I need that before a police officer or before somebody in the hospital gets it. It's just that once it becomes available, once it goes down the line, we're going to be able to get that too. Um, and another big thing, I, you know, I used to, when I was first an assistant attorney general for the state, um, I, I worked in workers' compensation. And uh, one of the things in workers' compensation is that if you catch a disease or something, it's, it's oftentimes hard to say, hey, I got it from my employer Therefore, my employer should, you know, I, I, I benefit. I get workers' compensation benefits from doing that, right. um, which is important. Like if you're on work and you get hurt, you should be compensated for the injury that you received. So what they have asked for is what um, recently fire and police received is that if they get uh, COVID-19, then they are uh, able to get 
um, they're able to get workers' compensation benefits. And so they have asked for that too. And every single request they've made, even a simple one where it wasn't even, don't even make this order, just can you please encourage Missourians to go to the supermarket and wear masks so they don't get us sick? Just do that. You just encourage them. All of it has been no. I'm not. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Government can't government. do that. Yeah. No. It's 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 just it's this it's this argument. You know that that initially was oh government's not going to do this. Government's not going to do that. And then eventually government did something because we all realized. Uh, and I mean local municipalities were already doing this in Missouri where they were ordering folks to um, you know stay home as much as possible and they were closing some businesses and they were making sure that we were you know doing this physical distancing thing so that we were not dying as much um, and uh, yeah and 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 so then all, all of a sudden the governor after under all of this pressure uh, finally said yes so so there it is so now now we can at least agree government should do something right but but taking that ex- apparently an extreme step to say that we should be protecting our our workers at grocery stores and the folks who give us medicine that's just too much it's just too much to 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 say sure uh let's make sure that their kids are are taken care of so that they can go to work right yeah sorry i get and so <laughs> yep <laughs> yeah um, so, and, and the folks who are, are, you know, working for $10 an hour, yeah. the ones, the ones that I deal with. And, and so I'm going to use that to jump on into Medicaid expansion, please. Yeah. Because if you make, you know, and I don't know the numbers offhand, if you make you know, between here and here, yeah. um, you qualify for subsidy to help you pay for your health insurance. If you make more than that, then you don't qualify. If you make less than that, you don't qualify because the state is supposed to try and get my hands up here. Um, yeah. Expand Medicaid. That was the Medicare. Medic. No, I was right the first time. Yeah. Medicaid. Sorry. Right. Um, Missouri didn't do that. Missouri refused to do that. And so the situation and, and was working a booth and, and trying to get folks to sign the petition to get Medicaid expansion. And what I was hearing, well, I don't want my tax money going to those people. Uh huh. This amount of money isn't a whole lot, but what I see is dad's working at a low-wage job. Right. Mom doesn't make enough money to pay for daycare, so she stays at home with the kids. Right. The kids qualify for Medicaid, but mom and dad got nothing because they don't qualify for, they don't make enough to qualify for subsidies, and they don't make, you know, you've got to make absolutely nothing to qualify for Medicaid. Yeah. So productivity hurts. You know, you're you're sending people you know who can't who who now can't work who want to work because they don't have health insurance to, to right. get them better. This is one of those economic multipliers, like I was talking earlier. You put the money in, and you get more money out. And and that again, the pandemic has writ you know it's the same issue writ large. We should be ta- making sure these folks can stay in the workforce mm-hmm. because nobody's. I'm not going to work because I've got free health insurance. No, they're if they're not going to if they can't work, then health insurance is is kind of at the bottom of their list of priorities. Um, and so now we've got folks who are working a little, again ten dollars an hour. They can't afford health insurance, but they're putting themselves at risk to bag groceries, right? And not even going to make sure that they have their health insurance. And I guess we're right. uh, we are doing some you know paying some the bills on on Corona. Uh, related thing, right. but we're still leaving yes. a whole lot of 
whole lot of, of holes of not stuff that's not being covered. Right. Yeah. No, no that's totally right. And then even in, in those situations um, where we are covering that, uh, oftentimes because the system is too complicated, it, you, you get a bill and mm-hmm. they're looking for an insurance company to pay this or that or whatever it is, but, but then they, they find you. And, uh, and then if you're not insured, you're still getting the bill and then you've got to figure out and you've got to navigate it. I mean, yeah, Medicaid expansion is, is uh, you know, it has so many costs to society, the fact that there are folks who do not have access to affordable care. Um, and there's a lot. So Medicaid expansion in Missouri, uh, we are one of the few states now that has not expanded Medicaid. Um, and if we did, uh, over 200,000 Missourians would have access to affordable care. Um, and that's, that's a big deal because if you go to a hospital with anything and you're, you're, you're in, bit, in bad shape, they are going to save your life, whether you can pay or whether you can't. Okay, So they're going to save your life and then they're going to go looking for the money to pay for it. So usually they go to an insurance company if you've got insurance. If you don't have insurance, then they're coming to you. And you don't got that money. I mean, who, who in the world de- – well, there's a few people in the world, and they probably should be, you know, like we mentioned before, maybe paying for our schools and, and some other things. But, but most people don't. And so now they're coming to you, and, and when, when they need their money, hospitals need their money, they are going to take you to court. And so now we've got courthouses, well, not right now, but before this was happening, we had courthouses that were filled with people who could not pay for health care, and they were agreeing to some kind of a settlement because they couldn't afford an attorney either. They were agreeing to some kind of a settlement to pay this much money a month. They didn't have it. They were just agreeing to something. Uh, The hospital's not getting its money. Eventually, the hospital is not making money, can't afford to stay open, so it's gone. It closes. Mm-hmm. So in Missouri, we've yep. seen a lot of rural hospitals that have closed, which has now made us way more vulnerable to this virus or any other kind of outbreak because those hospitals don't make money. And and the hospitals off, where most of their money comes from oftentimes is these elective surgeries that people are having. That they can charge a whole bunch of money to the insurance companies and they get their money through that. But right now, those are not really happening. And so mm-hmm. that puts these hospitals that were barely barely there are now coming down. And uh, yeah, I mean, you, you know, with this all of the challenges that we're seeing today didn't just happen overnight. You know, it, it is something that took years and years and years for us to build up to a position where we were this vulnerable in the state of Missouri. And uh, yeah, I think you're totally right. Medicaid expansion is one of those examples. Unfortunately, the Attorney General of Missouri uh, is actually suing right now still suing in federal court to end Medicaid expansion, not only for Missouri, not only to take away our ability to now vote and say, hey, we would like to expand Medicaid, not only to take away the opportunity, but to take it away from every other state that has already expanded it. Um, And that would throw millions of people off of access to affordable care, which is um, highly unfortunate. And so... um, yeah. yeah, and and like I said, I'm I'm from a little bitty town, and and yeah. Clint still has its hospital. Um, Osceola had to close its down. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got you know I have no numbers to say that Medicaid would have, have saved Osceola right. or any you know there are several in the boot heel that that probably yeah. would have been yeah. saved if Medicaid expansion. And you know, again, when I was working in that booth trying to get folks to sign up for Medicaid expansion, well, what's that going to do to my insurance premiums? Right. It's actually going to lower your premiums because what happens is hospitals have to make that money back somewhere because right. when someone goes to the ER, they have to save their life. 
but they're not getting paid for it. So hospitals have to make that money back somewhere, so they charge the insurance companies more to offset what they just lost. Right. So if insurance companies don't have to offset that loss, then they're going to then their premiums have to come down because one of the things that the Affordable Care Act did was say insurance companies can charge, but eighty percent of whatever they charge has to go into actual medical reimbursing medical um, expenses. Twenty percent can be uh, administrative expenses. That's fine, mm-hmm. but eighty percent has to go to and so. Yeah, if if you lower what the insurance companies are putting in to the hospitals, then those right. premiums should be coming down. Right, right, yeah, and um, yeah, and Angie was just uh, commenting about um, the impact this is having on on rural Missouri. You know, I was in uh, uh, Nevada, uh, and in Nevada, they, there was a doctor um, who uh, is a Republican, and he was asking people to raise taxes in the town to save their hospital. And somebody asked, well, would Medicaid expansion have helped? And he said, yes, it wouldn't have fixed the whole thing because we had some other issues too, but yeah, it certainly would help. Um, it's not, it, it, it's just not a partisan, it shouldn't be. It, it, it shouldn't be. It, right. it makes sense from a people standpoint. It makes yes. fun, sense from a money standpoint. Mm-hmm. The only reason I can figure out we haven't done, done it already, and I'm going to go straight on political here, is because mm-hmm. Republicans won a whole lot of elections saying Obamacare is going to destroy the country. And so if they admit that Medicaid expansion is a good idea, then they're worried about what else they have to admit they're wrong on. That is the only thing that I can figure out because study after study after study, Mm -hmm. looking at other states say this is a good thing. Right. And we just refuse to do it because, again, because we've got a supermajority that doesn't have to actually work for the voters, they just have to work for re-election and, and to hold on to their power, which is driving me insane, yeah. which is why I say democracy needs debate. We cannot hold, we cannot hand all of the political power in the state to a single party because there right. are so many things that don't happen in terms of checks and balances in terms right. of making sure people are, are being served. You're, you're nail on the head. Yeah, I mean, you know, checks and balances is such an important concept. And, you know, I, I talk about it a lot and people start laughing because they look at the times we're in and they're like, what's that? You know, but you're totally right. I mean, the problem is, like, if you have a supermajority of any party, um, you're probably going to have problems because now you have to rely on uh, people uh, doing the right thing when all this money is coming to them and they want to stay in power and all that other stuff. But the system wasn't designed to be like that. The system was designed to have accountability checks and balances within the system. Mm-hmm. The problem is when you have a system uh, like this one, which folks have been tinkering with to make sure they have an advantage, uh, to make sure yep. that a district is drawn a certain way so certain people aren't getting to vote over there and have their voices heard, or we're making sure that certain people don't have access to the polls. Um, you know, you, you are designing, you're taking the game that we're all playing and you're, you're trying to change the rules uh, to mm-hmm. benefit you. And it, it certainly uh, has caused a lot of havoc in uh, in Missouri. That's for sure. Yeah, and what Republicans are missing on on I'm going to jump into Clean Missouri now because mm. one of the things that that Clean Missouri is is designed to do when it is drawing up um, districts, it is designed to take the power away from the majority and give it to a nonpartisan, and then have the the you know and. The Republicans need to remember that 
the pendulum is going to swing back and forth in Missouri. It always does. And so when it finally does swing to the Democrats, you're going to have a whole lot of really angry Democrats who want to get back at what they have been, you know, the way that they have been tossed into the wilderness, lost in the wilderness for, you know, the last couple of decades. And so Republicans have better understand that if you put the, you're, they're protecting themselves by making sure, by not trying to change clean Missouri, which is exactly what's happening. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, they are tr- going to try and put it back on the ballot in November, 2020 right. to take away that part that scares the crap out of them, which right. is the nonpartisan demographer. Right. Right. Yeah. Not to mention the changes that they're trying to make to the initiative petition process. Right. Uh, <laughs> that. Oh, no, wait a minute. We don't like all the stuff that the voters keep telling us to do. So we're going to take away their power to do that. Right. That's right. not how this is supposed to work. No, no. it's it's really not. Yeah. Um, I mean, in, in, in the best situation, you know, it's supposed to work with the legislators actually making laws that make sense and that people want and that work and make sure that they make our lives better. But the problem is, like, that's not really happening. So you have to go to the initiative petition process to get anything passed. And that's why Medicaid expansion, which um, has a whole bunch of things, and they're going to be on the ballot. Um, And that should have gone through our government, and they should have just done their job. They've had 10 years to make that that change happen already, and they just didn't do it. Yeah. Yeah, and we're all we're all paying for it. It's not like we are not paying for it. We're sending our money to different states right now so that they can expand Medicaid. And then here we are in Missouri uh, with our hospitals closing. So that's the decisions that are being made on our behalf right now. Right. Yeah. And and you know, the, yes, I, I worry very much about the federal deficit because, yeah. Sure. But again, Medicaid expansion will ultimately make money because. You're increasing productivity. You're keeping people in the workforce in a way that isn't going to happen without it, and it and it mm-hmm. produces more money than what we're putting into. It's like what two billion dollars, hundred ninety or yeah, two billion dollars. I think a year is being pumped back into the Missouri economy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there's been a few studies. There was a big one um, that folks at WashU did, um, and and there's there's some interesting. Uh, reimbursement rates um, that will change if we expand Medicaid that actually brings a whole lot of cost savings in Missouri. Uh, mm-hmm. And and so there, I mean, there's a whole bunch of like little stuff. I'd really recommend Maybe We can find it and I'll throw it in the comments after the video's up. But um, definitely an interesting read. Uh, Dr. McBride did a, you know, I mean, his team and everybody else who was working on it. But uh, yeah, I mean, that, that it makes sense. I mean, at the very worst case situation, they found that it might cost a little bit of money or nothing at all for us to do. And that's not taking into account all of these, you know, these changes in reimbursement rates and everything else. And the most likely is that it would save the state millions and millions of dollars. And then there's a bunch of other projections with this other stuff that even more, because now we're not just talking about healthcare. If we talk about what's happening in the court system, if you're talking about saving all that money now too, um, and not having to chase people down for debt and not having to waste the time of the court and all oh, the, yeah. I mean, we're paying for that too. So um, yeah, it, it, healthier people are able to do a lot more, and that also means working, and that means paying taxes, and that means uh, making sure their kids are doing well and taking care of their communities. And it's it's better for all of us, and that can't be. 
I mean, the moral argument is certainly one. The economic argument also matches with it. It's very nice when that happens. <laughs> yes. I mean, yeah. Like I said, I'm not a huge fan of government as a charity, but when, but yeah. public investment is absolutely something we've got to do. Right. Um, I, yeah. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I mean, one of the things that we have not been doing as a government in Missouri is investing in the people of our state. And, yep. uh, you know, and, and if you don't take care of things um, – you know, you, you talked about the lawnmower at the beginning, but if you leave that darn thing out there and it's in the rain all day and you leave it out there for maybe a few years before you, you crank it back up, oh, where was that old thing? Well, you know what? It ain't going to work too well. Um, and that's the problem. Well, we, we have neglected folks all over this state for a very long time, and especially people who do not have money um, and don't have the resources to go get their own things that the government um, you know, isn't investing. And I think, I think that's a great, great way to look at it. It is a public investment. And, you know, we talked about education earlier, but, um, you know, there's, a um, uh, a lot of research that has gone into early childhood education and that investments in early childhood education pay huge dividends at the end of this whole yep. thing. So, I mean, talk about an investment. I mean, the, 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 the returns that you get, and it takes a while, like it's a long-term investment, but it's one that, uh, has significant, um, benefits to those places that have decided to do it. Yep. Yeah. That, yeah. That's and yeah. You you take the money that we're saving by expanding Medicaid, and now you've got more money to put into education, more money to put into transportation, more money to pay Amtrak because we're not paying our Amtrak bill and haven't for the last several years. Yeah. Um, cutting taxes and cutting taxes and cutting taxes does not work. It, because you you're there are things that we need government to do and if they don't if it doesn't have the money to do it then those things don't get done and and to use the lawnmower analogy now that we need our lawnmower um we're yeah it's not working very well because we've just haven't changed the oil in it yeah yeah no you're you're totally right yeah angie angie just got on here too did some research for us 932 million annually at five years with Medicaid expansion. That's right. how much how much we would be benefiting the state economy. So uh you can certainly use that money, I think. So for a whole lot. Yep. Yeah. Well what other what other issues you got going on? What's 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 other other stuff you've got uh on your radar? So let's see here. The the Clean Missouri was a big one. What yep. were so the ones I, I talked to a couple of folks, inviting them and uh, asked them what they wanted to make sure we talked about education and charter schools. Yeah. Uh, balanced budget um, and uh, transportation and really like green right. you know, Ozark Greenways. That comes into transportation again. Sure. Ozark's transportation uh, authority, Ozark transportation OTC, OTO organization. Okay. Um, I talked with them and, and we've got a lot of trails going in. Um, trying to give people another way of getting from point A to point B that's not putting you know cars on the road and mm-hmm. tearing up the roads. I think we've hit on a lot of those things. So yeah, uh, well we do we do have a question. Excellent. Yeah, uh, from uh, uh, Betsy. <laughs> another candidate crossfire here. So at least we can see maybe where this is coming from. Uh, she wants to know, um, would you, if elected, advocate for a universal pre-kindergarten for Missouri? And if so, how would you fund this? Thank you both for putting this on. Yeah, that's the big trick. Yeah, um, like yeah. I said, uh, universal uh, pre-K is definitely has the uh, – you get kids 
working earlier and, and getting more of an idea of what they need to do in school. And they do better in school. Once they do better in school, they stay out of jail. They, they contribute more to the workforce. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that's a, uh, something we definitely need to do. Mm-hmm. Right now, the state's kind of encouraging schools to um, have pre-K, but they're not really giving them any money to do it. Yeah. And so that was the that's the big concern that I've heard from schools is, OK, you want us to do pre-K. Mm-hmm. That's great. Don't make us take out of the money that you're already not giving us. Right. Um, so how do we pay for it? I don't know exactly. Um, I know that there are four ways that we need to be four things that we need to be doing differently that would increase revenue, um, because if there were any answers to cutting money out of the budget, I think Republicans would have already done it because they, they're so worried about, you know, there aren't, there's nothing easy left to cut out of the budget. So you've got to increase revenue to get anything done. Mm-hmm. Um, Medicaid expansion is one way of, of increasing yep. revenue. Right. Um, Proposition D, uh, where we raise the gas tax 10 cents over four years, mm. um, we probably need to do that. Um, increasing our cigarette tax. We've got the lowest cigarette taxes in the, right. in the country, yep. which is weird for a non-tobacco producing state. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then our corporate tax rate was cut several years ago. That probably needs to go back up. And, and, and the rationale behind cutting the corporate tax rate was it'll bring it, it makes us more business friendly. So more businesses come to Missouri. I don't know that that's panned out. I do know that um, before the stuff hit the fan, our unemployment mm-hmm. rate was below 4%. So the, right. the, the problem to, you want to attract more businesses, give them workers. And mm-hmm. the best way of getting more workers is making it attractive for workers to move here right. and growing your um, workers at home, which means putting money into education. Like you said, it's going to be a long-term investment. Um, but if we don't do it, we're just going to get farther and farther behind. Right. Right. Yeah. And in Missouri, you know, with the education. So so um, I guess it's interesting because as attorney general, um, I can't make any laws, but I can hang out in the Capitol. So when both of you, Betsy and Dave, when you both get elected, uh, I'll be in your offices and advocating for this. Absolutely. Because I think uh, universal pre-K is extremely important. Um, Yeah, I I think you're right. And you know what? We're at a time right now where this budget is going to be a mess. And they're talking about the impacts that this is going to have um, on local governments, on state governments, because unlike the federal government, none of these things can print money, right? So right. a lot... And, and, a lot and the state has a balanced budget. They have to balance yes. the budget every year. There is no deficit spending, which is right. great. Um, but that means we got to stop cutting our income every chance, every time we're worried about right. losing an election. Right. Yeah, it's it's like, you know, you're making sure, you know, you you've got the pie and you're you're eating it. Every time though, you're making it smaller and smaller and smaller. And so there's less to go around. Um so yeah, I mean, I, yeah, and so we've got we're going to have we're going to have quite a big we're going to have to figure out what the heck is going on after all of this because there's going to be a lot of folks who are going to need help, especially small businesses. Um yep. You know, and so it's it's going to be a mess. But I think, yeah, you're totally right. Like we need smart policies right now. Medicaid expansion seems like such a good one because it's going to it's going to bring the state money and it's going to make people healthier. Come on and do it. 
Um, but yeah, I, I mean, the problem is like we've got a formula. So even before this whole thing, we have an education foundation formula and we have kept cutting that. So, so, you know, you're supposed to fully fund the darn thing and say, oh, we've fully funded it. Well, uh, recently in our legislature, they said, yeah, well, we've, we fully funded it. But the way, way they did that was they took the goalposts we were supposed to get to and they brought them back. And so they've yep. been cutting money for years and years from what was supposed to be coming to kids in the first place. But, um, yeah, I mean, look, there's, there's a lot of stuff that we in Missouri are doing where, unfortunately, we're ranking, you know, closer to the bottom of what all these other states are. And I think you're right. There's some issues with some of the, uh, you know, the tobacco tax is one. Um, and then they, they try to increase the gas tax for infrastructure, you know, and all of that, you know, especially for gas that has some implications on, on folks who uh, need to get around a lot, might not have all that much money. So there, there's smart. It, it is a regressive tax. Yeah. And so, but there's smart ways to like get around that too, right? Like if, 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 you know, certain reimbursements or certain tax credits or whatever it might be. Um, but yeah, I think the big, the big issue is that we have, um, you know, I, I think we have focused so much on uh, this rhetoric around making this state great for corporations, but what about great for people, you know? Uh, and so, yeah, we've cut the corporate tax rate again and again and again, and we've done all these things and we give incentives and we give money away and then we tell everybody, oh, well, they promised to keep jobs and actually, no, they didn't have to, to get the money. So we keep finding money for corporations. We can't find money for kids, right? Yeah. Um, the the yeah. funniest thing I heard on that was when they were arguing about the, um, tax abatement for GM, they yes. were not going to make GM promise to keep jobs in Missouri. So right. they're, and at the exact same time, they're arguing that they're trying to put work requirement, work requirements on Medicaid. So they're putting work requirements on Medicaid, but not on these taxable rates. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Guys, that's not how this is works because yeah, the, the, the guys who are trying for the tax abatements have got people who can do the paperwork. Right. The folks who yes. don't have the money to pay for health insurance don't have the time to or the education to fill out this paperwork, which is why we had all these kids fall off of Medicaid and the and yes. Governor Parsons like, oh okay, look, look at how much money we're saving on it on Medicaid by sacrificing our kids. Great. Right. Thanks. Yeah. Literally by kicking kids, our most vulnerable kids in the state, off of health insurance. Right. And, and, oh, we sent them letters. Well, again, the folks that are getting these letters either do not have the time or the education to get it done. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's even worse than that because, because oftentimes, like, these letters would go out to, to incorrect addresses because they weren't – these systems weren't talking to each other. So, right. uh, And then on top of that, they had a guy who uh, was overseeing all of this, that same professor I just mentioned over at Wash U who was an expert in, in public health and policy, and he was overseeing it, and he raised red flags. So what do they do when you, when you have somebody whose job it is to hold you accountable? Yeah, they, they fire him. So you can't tell me now it's like, oh, you know, we did this uh, because we're, we're saving money, and you know, we had no idea we were doing this wrong. Like you knew. You, you knew there was something wrong, and you chose not to do anything about it until it became so blatantly obvious in the legislature that you screwed up. And, and then your answer wasn't, oh, well, we made a mistake. We kicked off a bunch of kids off of Medicaid. Uh, uh, let's, let's go sign them up. No, that wasn't the answer. The answer was that, oh, parents are irresponsible. They were right. the ones who should have fought us more. I, I, that's not – I mean that's just not how government is, 
should work. I mean, that that is an example to me of corruption in our government system. It's not one where it's like, oh, this is good government that we're making, you know, uh, uh, efficiencies and all this. That's not. That that is literally hurting people, and it doesn't make it more efficient because when people don't have access to health care, they have worse outcomes, and the state suffers as a whole. And so, I mean, we could talk Especially about this all freaking day, but. Because those, you know, those small problems as kids now get exacerbated yeah. and multiplied as they get older. And have you ever tried to call the uh, Medicaid hotline? I, uh, I have not personally. No, no. You I spent know folks who hours have. on hold. Yeah, right. That's and so, yeah. again, these are not folks who have the ability to do that in the middle of the day because they, right. you, a lot of times they've got a job yeah. that's not going to give them. There is no vacation days. They might get sick days. But, mm-hmm. you know. They can't do that. Right. Right. I mean, and for those of you who are on Twitter, um, Tim McBride is definitely somebody I would follow. Yes. Uh, definitely follow Tim, Timothy McBride on, on Twitter. Shout out Dr. McBride. His, uh, his brother just got elected in Wisconsin this last saw that. Too. Yeah, he's a mayor now. So uh, that was pretty fun. So shout out to the whole family over there. Let's see if we got any, anything up. Okay. Uh, Aaron Gray with sales tax. Yeah, sales tax is a thing, uh, you know, in terms of funding stuff. But again, um, you know, you got to think about who's that impacting the most. Um, it could be like a particular type of sales tax. So you're thinking about what kinds talking, of issues. But right. But are we talking about internet sales tax? Though, um, well, where that's great. Yeah, great point. If you're talking about you know you buying stuff on Amazon, you don't have mm-hmm. to pay sales tax on it right. the way you would if you bought it at you know the mom and top pop down the shop down the street. Right. Um, so yeah, that's. This is something that I was an issue when, you know, in 1999, when I was in Dodge City, Kansas, um, I remember hearing about this. And I can't believe we still haven't figured out, yes, we need to do that. Right. We say that we're for small business and, and we're, we're, we, we want to help these folks. It's hurting small businesses because they're not having, you know, it's not, it's not a level playing field and they've got no chance to compete hmm. when, you know, automatic discount of 10% when you don't have to pay the sales tax from Amazon. Right. So how is this not something that's already been done? And Aaron, thank you. That's, that's a, a fifth way of uh, bringing in revenue that I wasn't thinking about um, that I should have had on my list. Although yep. Republicans are now, you know, there has, again, been the proposal of, well, if we're going to bring in this money, let's take it away from over here. Again, we have things that we need to pay for that we're not, we don't have the money to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's actually pay for the things. I'm, I'm not talking about big government programs. I'm just talking about paying for the stuff that we should be paying for. Um so let's get those paid for, and then we can worry about where a tax cut's coming from instead of looking for tax cuts and then just not right. paying the bills because we don't have the money to do it. Right. Yeah. No, absolutely. And, I mean, you, you look around so many towns in Missouri that have been hollowed out because of Amazon, uh, you know, big box stores, whatever it might be, but especially the online stuff. Like, everybody is using it. And while it is really convenient and everything, um, you know, our, our – It's, it's just like more you said – yeah, right. Exactly right. And, and 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 but you're exactly right. It's not like it's proposing anything new. It is just adapting to society changing, and and society has changed in a way that now we shop a lot on the internet. Okay, well then you pay taxes when you did it in person. You probably should do that when you're doing it on the internet too, right? Um, so yeah. And officially, you're supposed to. You're supposed yeah. to keep that all keep track of that. But um, 
I don't know of anyone who ever has. Yeah, I don't think that many people do. Well, they're talking about right now, um, and I don't know if it's going to move at all, but it was in the legislature, the Wayfair tax. Um, yes. Yeah, so that was that was definitely up there. And I was in uh, – oh, goodness, what county was I in? It wasn't – it was <laughs> shortly before the whole world changed and I couldn't drive anymore. Um uh, where was I? I don't know. I was somewhere. And uh, they were talking about uh, doing it on a county level because the county itself um, had to you know, pass their own ordinance in order to collect some of those taxes, too, just for the county um, to get some of those resources. So, yeah, it's uh, the problem is, though, without uniformity around the state. Uh, oh, yeah. You, know, you got some issues there. Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't. Like some of those small rural counties, I don't know how they how they come up with the infrastructure of doing that. That right. that really is something that needs to be done on the state level. Be, yeah, I don't see how right. that would work. Yeah, it's, you know, it's something that would be collected. It. Yeah, it's like collected through the state, and then it would be allocated to them. So that's how like the structure itself would work. But um, just having like an authorizing local, uh, you know, tax whatever it is. Um, would then allow them to even collect it in the first place, so the state would still be collecting it. Yeah, it would, that would be ridiculous to have like. A long... <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> that would be. Yeah, I just had yeah. I hadn't heard that one, so I didn't. Yeah. 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 No, that was that was interesting. I mean, you know, the folks are trying to figure out what to do, and and you know, even even going that route, a lot of the revenue is going to be gone because you know, if you have folks who are working somewhere else and shipping it to you versus working right there, um, you know, it's it's a different it's a different base anyway. So. Yep. Right. Let's see. Do we have anything else up on here? Yes. Okay. Uh, internet sales tax too. Yeah. Corporations aren't up. You know. <laughs> uh, okay. The comment is guns. I oh, from Angie. Okay. Guns. I'm obligated as as a Moms Demand Action volunteer <laughs> to bring up kids at home with guns. Suicides in the state. Domestic violence. Uh, hold up. Whoop, I don't want to lose a comment. I feel like I did. Domestic violence, it seems to be impossible to pass in the state. Okay, so so all, like, and with Moms Demand, you know, they, they go and they advocate quite a bit in the Capitol. I've been with them. I was at their last uh, advocacy day. Um, but, yeah, uh, I mean, we're, right now, we're seeing, uh, with all of this happening, you know, it's interesting because I've been looking a lot at different crime statistics, um, which is, you know, a big part of the Attorney General's office, but just in society as a whole anyway. But we are seeing... Um, you know, one, not like a huge drop in violent crime in general. Uh, and then two, a pretty significant increase in domestic violence right now because folks are, are at home and they're really stressed out and bad things happen in some of those environments. Um, you have any thoughts about that at all? So sure the, <laughs> so the, the, the thing with, with guns in Missouri and, and one of the things I love about Missouri is is the mix of rural and urban, and mm-hmm. the the relationship of of guns is much different in rural Missouri than yeah. it is in in urban Missouri. Um, and so, but you can't have gun laws in a county because you can't have gun. Honestly, gun laws on a state basis don't make as much sense as on a national basis because sure. you can't get it here. You you drive two mm-hmm. hours and. and you buy it in Kansas, mm-hmm. but there are things that, that can be done and, and should be done in the, on the state level. The reason they're not is because, again, we've got one party that is exceptionally good at finding emotional levers to pull on people. 
and guns is one of the biggest ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're coming for your guns, and nobody's coming for your guns, but we should be paying attention to who's getting them. Um, well, red flag laws, there's no, you know, there's no due process. It's the same process on, on a red flag law, if, if it's written correctly, as there is on a search warrant. Right. Um, so with that rationale, the founders wouldn't have been able to write, you know, search warrants into the U.S. Constitution because the government doesn't have the right to go mm. in person. Mm-hmm. No, mm-hmm. it's not how this works. If you've got someone who has a concern and they take it to law enforcement, law enforcement takes it to a judge and said, these are the issues that we're having. And the judge says, you know what? Yes, let's take go ahead and take the weapons and maybe we can save someone's life like that. It's not a I'm going to go in and take the guns. There is a due process there. And if you want it back, you can still get it back. There are going to be hiccups there. It's inevitable. We're human. There are going to be mistakes. But I think we save more lives that way Mm. and have less, um, you know, government overreach with the, with the process the way it's supposed to work. Yeah. Um, and so a a red flag law is absolutely something needs to be done on a state level. Um, it should be done on a federal level as well, but Mm. we can do it on a state level. Um, and it makes sense on a state level. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, look, it's a uh, um, we always point to the Constitution and you know the fundamental uh, nature of the Second Amendment, of course. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, look, like nobody, at least at least we aren't we we are not advocating for an end to due process in America at all. So yeah, I mean, if there's anything that's proposed that doesn't include that, I mean, get you know, throw it out. But but yeah, that's not what people are asking for. They're they're asking for things that make sense and things that we can, you know, put into the system we have now to protect people. Um, and, and there's some, I mean, there's some loopholes in our current laws right now that if we closed, we'd be able to protect folks, especially in domestic relationships, um, especially yep. home. Um, and especially to make sure that I think we can all, well, I, I don't know if we can all agree on this, but I think a, a lot of reasonable people can agree that folks who are dangerous should not have guns. Like that just shouldn't happen. Um, and, and sure, there are some people who are going to disagree with that statement. I think most of us agree with it. And, uh, yeah, I, I think that that's, there's so many common sense things that we can do. And I think you're totally right. You know, I've, um, you know, in, in what, what I've seen is in, in, in a lot of areas where you grow up with, with guns and you, you learn how to use them and, you know, you've got a rifle when you're young and, uh, you learn how to, to handle the weapon, right. Uh, a lot of the kids who I've taught, oftentimes the first time they're getting a gun is when they purchase it on the street or they've gone with a friend and they've gotten it from them when they're 15, 16 years old. And there's nobody there teaching them how to use the gun. They're, they're just shooting, right, because they're trying to protect themselves and what oftentimes what little that they have. And so, yeah, unfortunately I've had um, kids who are teenagers who have been involved in, in gunfights who have been shot who have been robbed, um, and they thought that having a gun was so important because they lived in their car and they were protecting all of their things, right? And so we we have created a world in which poverty is now a reason to get a gun, and it really shouldn't, right? That shouldn't be the way that this works. Um, but yeah, I mean, just this, this summer, you know, I, I've talked about this quite a bit, but I had a, one of my kiddos who was um, you know, about to start school the next day. Um, and he was, you know, was, was shot and killed in his backyard. 
um, because somebody was using a gun the wrong way and they got into a fight in the, in the alleyway. Um, and, and, you know, I think, I think from whether, whether you think that everybody, you know, should be able to get a gun no matter what or what not, like the one, I know we can all agree that gun violence is not great. It's not good. And we shouldn't have, it, we should, we should work to make sure it's not happening. And, you know, if that's through education, if that's through, uh, you know, coordinated efforts around the state, I'm a very big proponent of a coordinated effort through the attorney general's office with law enforcement, with prosecutors, making sure our public defenders and our justice system works. Um, but to make sure that people have avenues to get out, you know, if they are mad or they have somebody to talk about, they have somebody to mediate, they have somebody to get in there to prevent those situations from occurring in the first place. And, you know, there's a lot of common sense things that we could all do, both from a legal side of it, but really from just the social side of it. And, you know, I, I'm very hopeful that there are, if we can get past this noise where everybody starts getting really defensive when we get to this position. Mm-hmm. Um, that there's a lot of stuff that we can agree on. Um, yep. you know, certainly I'll advocate for something that maybe you disagree with, uh, and they'll advocate for something maybe I disagree with, but at the end of the day, there's so much more that we can agree on. Um, especially when it comes to, to this situation, when it comes to our families and safety. And, and that's the way democracy is supposed to work. Yeah. You're supposed to bring different ideas to the table, argue about them, and then come up with something to do, not right. shout down the other guy by using, arguments that are, are I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan of any anyone who tries to do it in good faith, and, and right. I just don't see those good faith efforts where they're honestly trying to make or make Missouri better right. um, and not just keep themselves in power. Right. Yeah. What's, uh, what's your tagline? Democracy needs debate. Democracy needs debate. Look at that. We came from the beginning, we got to the end, and uh, wrapped it up with a bow. It's gorgeous. Well, Dave, uh, any parting shots, especially how can people get involved with your campaign? Um, probably the big ones. I'm on on uh, social media. I've got uh, Dave, let's see here. Yeah, Greg Formo. I've got Twitter. Um, yep. And, of course, we all need uh, campaign donations. But um, mm-hmm. get involved. Um, let me know what what I need to be doing, where, where, um, I can make my voice heard, yeah. uh, is, is and, and what I need to, to know and what I need to talk about. Uh, that's how I'm, how I'm running my campaign is just trying to talk to people. So I need to know who to talk to mm-hmm. and I need to know what I need to know. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, uh, it's probably the best way to do it. That's for sure. So, um, well, great. If, if folks are still out there, if you've got questions to ask, go ahead and put them in the comments. I know a lot of folks have been doing that on Facebook uh, in the different areas, and we'll go looking for them. Um, but hopefully this was good. Uh, very excited I enjoyed to it. Do it. I, I thought it was a good time. Yeah. Um, so I will uh, – you've got a website. I've got a website. I'm going to put that on for you all. You all can stare at it for a little while. And uh, <laughs> if you've got any questions or anything, contact us anytime. Uh, Dave Gregg. A lot gross, and uh, we will see you out there. So thank you all for watching. Appreciate it. Thank you very much, folks. Stay healthy out there. Thanks for listening, everybody. Make sure to check us out at aladgross.org, where you can connect with us on social media, send me an email, send me any questions or ideas you've got for the podcast. We'd love to hear from you. We will see you next week on the Aladdin Pod.